Hello to everyone tuning in. We're a Boston Celtics fan site that covers everything Celtics, and the pod covers all the same site, excuse me, all the same topics our site does, but more freely and from a weekly point of view. We'll cover last week's games, major stories, as well as a look to the week ahead, and we'll change things up as the show evolves, so let us know if you hear anything, if you want to hear anything that comes to mind. So I'm here with Josh Coyne. Uh, this is Justin Quinn. How you doing, Josh? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And uh, just want to say thank you for letting me join you again. So let's dive right in. 538, they're favoring Boston for the number one seed. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's an incredibly likely scenario. Um, obviously, a lot of it depends on uh, some big games coming up, such as the one against Cleveland. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I think it will be uh, a big milestone for this Boston team after, you know, a quasi rebuild that uh, has, has, you know, we've, they've found themselves in this amazing scenario um, after, you know, three years after a kind of semi rebuild began. Uh, it's, it's a really amazing situation um, and very likely uh, should they continue to kind of uh, grind out wins like they did against Orlando. Um, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting thing in terms of, you know, who they might end up playing. ESPN has a projection that they just released and it has the Bulls as our most likely first round candidate, 34% probability for that. The Heat at 22%, the Pacers at 22%, and then there's a couple other teams, uh, that are on the fringes, um... Only the Hawks and Bucks are really even vaguely realistic at 11 and 6%, which yeah. sounds pretty realistic from the standings and the schedules that, that I'm aware of. Do you think that uh, a desirable for, uh, a field of uh, potential first-round candidates? Well, really, to I mean, to kind of determine who is desirable, I've kind of been thinking about kind of each of those options. And with Chicago, I mean, it's uh, I believe it's two, two to one for the season. Um in favor of the Celtics, uh, the season series. Um, last Do you time, think that's, that's a fair, fair way to look at the the Bulls, though, because I mean, Dwayne Wade went off, and I, I kind of expected that to happen just because he wanted to put on a show. It was early in the season; he came home, so to speak, to Chicago. I kind of feel like they were just caught un, un, unawares, and they didn't really know what they were up against. I mean, Todd Gibson had a great game that game. I kind of feel like the Bulls might be, out of all of these options, maybe the most desirable per, uh, team to end up playing against. Perhaps. But, I mean, you know, I think it seems strange to say, and obviously it seems strange to say that despite the fact that they're actually playing a kind of archaic style of basketball and the kind of pieces don't really fit with each other, uh, I, I, I think you can't really rule guys out like Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler who have that ability to come through in the postseason. You know, as as much as it hasn't worked out the way they'd want to this season, you just, you know, you know for sure that these guys are gamers and they do have the ability, kind of, if it is in the space of a couple of games, to show up and prove themselves. So you never know really who if they would be a desirable opponent. But you know, the, Miami, who are kind of the second most likely uh, according to those numbers. I mean, they're, they're a team that they've, that Boston have been able to beat four times this year, um, but. And that would obviously fill you with confidence. However, you can't kind of count out guys like Eric Spolstra, who has been able to get a, a team together that really are over, over um, they're exceeding the expectations. Uh, and, you know, guys like uh, Whiteside expose the rebounding issues. So 
it's all about matchup really in the first round and we'll see how it goes. I for one am absolutely confused about the heat. I, I really don't understand how they are patching together what they're doing. Um, I guess it's really a testament to both how much people underestimated waiters and also Spolstra. I think he's, he's, a fringe candidate uh, for coach of the year, in my opinion, based on what he's doing. I don't think he's going to be even really be close in the voting, but yeah, he's he doing something pretty, pretty impressive. What were you saying? Yeah. Considering the resources he has, he's really, like I said, he's really exceeded expectations and uh, got a unit that really probably shouldn't be in the position they are into that position. Uh, for me, I actually think that um, Indiana would be the team. If I was Boston, I'd be most confident in facing you know, obviously Paul George is a star, but the, the the team just don't have the the right pieces to put together a consistent performance in the in the playoff series, in my opinion. Um, and and the, obviously the Hawks, you know, the, these are the less likely candidates. But the 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 Hawks, you know, <laughs> Boston have bad memories over the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, them. we know a little bit too much about each other probably now as clubs too. So that that probably cancels each other out, but. The question for them in my mind is whether or not Millsap is going to be back in, in, at full strength when we face them, um, if we face them. And there's there's rumblings that he might be ready to play before the regular season is over. So it seems like we he, he could he could be could be could be a tough out. I still think we take them in five or six games, but I would not be super thrilled about the Hawks either. And then there's the yeah. Bucks. Yeah, the Bucks are a different kind of animal, I think. It, it, for some reason, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, not for some reason, actually, you know, they, they beat Boston the other day. I, I, I think that these are one that, to really look out for because obviously they're very, you know, they're a plucky young bunch. You know, they're a troublesome matchup, as proven in the last game. And uh, Atentacampo is, you know, ready for a big series to cement his, you know, superstar status. So, I think if if I was Boston, I'd be worried about facing those guys because I think even if they weren't to uh, seriously push Boston, you know, out of the postseason, I think that they'd certainly come away with a few, you know, bruises. Yeah, I agree. For me, I think it's the Heat and the Bucks that I would most like to avoid in the first round. The Heat, I don't think, stand any chance at beating us, but the style of play will really grind on our big men. And yeah. that is not going to be – that's not something we need, particularly considering that all of our big men are 30 or older. So I think they're 30 anyway. Is Amir 29 or 30? Anyway, they're old enough where it matters. We'll just leave it at that. And the Bucks, well, I mean – the I don't remember if you remember the sequence in the Bucks game this week, um, this last week, where Giannis sunk back to back three pointers and then stuffed Horford on the other end of the court. If he starts hitting three pointers like that, oh God, what is game over for most of the league? I mean, that guy is an incredible athlete. Uh, to, to be able to have the ability to start start a layup from you know that three point line. Yeah, basically. And then to be able to shoot wherever he wants, I mean, that would be, he'd be unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's that 6% chance, uh, pans out, you know, that's, uh, that'd be some luck I'd like to land for a change. Yeah. How about the NCAAs? Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the games too closely. I just watched some highlights. Uh, it's looking like Jordan Bell and Oregon are, are going to be taking a seat. And we have a nice UNC Gonzaga title game, which was 
everyone says this, but I was going to fill out Gonzaga and I was like, that's just too nice of a narrative. Uh, therefore I'm going to like, I, I have some kind of a Homer bias there because of, because of Kelly. Um, so I took them off and I put Arizona in cause I selfishly wanted to see more Laurie Marcon and, and I ended up, uh, completely destroying my bracket. Did you fill it out? I didn't know. I didn't get around to it. And obviously, you know, um, being uh, from Britain, uh, as much as I'm an NBA fanatic, among other sports, uh, I've not been tuned in this year on the NCAA. I know a lot about the top end of the draft based on, you know, the Brooklyn pick, but not all that much on the lower end of the talent spectrum in terms of the draft. Uh, but obviously, I know that Gonzaga and uh, North Carolina head into the final. But who is it that Boston should be watching that's remaining out of the two? Is there anyone that we could possibly be looking at in terms of uh, the using the Boston pick? Uh, well, the Boston pick is going to get conveyed if, unless, of course, we end up in some kind of a trade. The most, the, the most realistic pick, I think, for anyone on this is maybe Zach Collins. Maybe Zach Collins, if for some reason he were to fall to the early second round, the Minnesota pick ends up being slightly higher where it projects, and even that's kind of a stretch. I think we're kind of priced out for for yeah. most of the people left in in the tournament. Jordan Bell from Oregon, um, Lewis has really sold me on. I don't know if you caught the last pod we did together where we talked about that. Um, he really does seem from what I've seen of him to have the right kind of mentality, the right kind of body. He's, he's kind of undersized at the NBA to play a four, um, but he's really mobile. He's a great shot blocker. There was that game uh, two games ago, I think it was, where he blocked like eight shots in a row. Well, not in a row, in the night. Um, I would be keeping an eye on him. And even, even that, I think he may have pushed himself into the early – the late first round or early enough into the second round, we're not going to be able to have access to him, which is a shame because he's probably one of the, the players out there, I think, who's most interesting for a domestic player worth keeping. So speaking of players worth right. keeping, we've got a uh, Yabu, Gershon Yabu Sele, making his main Red Claws debut. Did you catch any of that? I did. It did, indeed. He's. Uh, I feel like he's a very impressive prospect um you know but obviously you never know when it's going to be with such a loaded roster loaded young roster that boston have but uh he's got a big body you know may be able to help boston on the glass uh as he has the right physical attributes uh should i say um his footwork is impressive for a big guy hence the dancing bear nickname um and he could help boston from the bench you know depending on the space of the roster um for next year Obviously, there's a big summer coming up with extensions, potential trades, draft and free agency, all of which the Celtics could potentially be involved. Um, but yeah, I think it was promising. Um, it's an extension of what we saw if you were, ta- if you were taking a look at what he was doing in China. Um, but it's nice to see him against the kind of more competitive guys uh, and more physically gifted guys. Uh, so it's an interesting one, especially with Zizic. Uh, people seem to be fully sold on on Zizic as someone who can immediately help Boston next year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Yabi can kind of uh, cement a place in the in the squad next year. I think I think they will, barring any uh, big surprises in roster shakeup or trades. Um, but there was an insider article. I haven't had a chance to take a look at it yet. But uh, Chris Forsberg, I think, uh, was talking about the fact that Yabu and Zizic were both mentioned before Jalen Brown was even mentioned when they were talking about 2016 rookies. 
So I'll definitely be checking that out. Also in the news, um, we are currently in first place because of those Chicago Bulls and Rondo having, at least with the Bulls, a career night. Um, something to be thankful for. I also wrote a piece uh, this week about James Young and his work in Flint, Michigan. Are you familiar with what's going on out there? I have indeed, yeah. I think it's kind of, I mean, from a from an outsider looking in, it's disgraceful that in a civilized society, you know, in a wealthy country, um, that a town is being left without purified water. It's just a crazy concept. Uh, as I understand, situations are improving, but and it's good to see people with the ability to use their platform to, to give back and to raise awareness, especially James Young with it being his hometown and with him being a young player still establishing himself in the league. It's, it's good what to he's see doing with his money is, is a lot larger chunk of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's some other former Celtics, like Rashid Wallace has, has been heavily involved, mostly because of his involvement with Detroit before he came to us. Um, and I think Magic Johnson and the owner of the Pistons uh, have all really you know, been stepping up where, where politicians are, are sitting around trying to point fingers at each other, saying whose fault it is rather than fixing it. Sorry, I saw the uh, Rashid Wallace interview on Area 21. Um, and I thought, I thought it was great to see that he was being so thoughtful about it. I mean, you see a lot about Rashid Wallace in the past that was kind of uh, the goofy side of his personality, sometimes the negative side of his personality. So I thought he was a really well-spoken, thoughtful guy in that interview. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I also really enjoy seeing, um, you know, forgiveness to to those of you who don't want politics with your sports. But I, I do like to see people, um, particularly when there's a personal connection, um, use their platform to take a stand you know, and it can be done in a way that doesn't beat people over the head or try to make them feel guilty. And I feel like that's that's what we're seeing. So I really I, I, I'd like to see more of that, you know, in society, not just in sports. So let's dive into last week's games. Now we talked a little bit about the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee adventure. That was not so fun. It was still a good game for IT. Uh, Isaiah had 32 points and five assists. No, excuse me, five rebounds. Bradley, Bradley. Crowder, Marcus Smart were all not so great, though Bradley did pick up 10, 10 rebounds on that game. But there's a there's a particular aspect of this game, and it seems to be following a trend that I've been noticing lately. And maybe you can tell me your thoughts on this trend. But uh, Marcus Smart shooting. I'm not entirely sure which trend you're referring to. I mean, you know, I know about the inconsistency of his shooting. That's what I'm talking about. He had a 4 of 15 shooting night that night. And to his credit, he did his damnedest to try to make up for that in other ways defensively. But I just have to say, why is he on the floor once he's dipping dipping below you know, like 35%, 30% effective field goal percentage on the night. I, like, I understand he does so many other things, but, I mean, if he's shooting us out of games, he's at best neutralizing what he's doing. I, yeah. I kind of feel that we are starting to cross a threshold from blaming Marcus for his bad shooting to blaming Brad Stevens for his non-benching. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one because, I mean, the only answer to your question is that he does so much more for the team. It seems as though, you know, Stevens might be, just be, you know, taking the bad shooting because of the fact that he does so much besides that. 
However, like you said, you know, it's um, it's counterproductive to leave someone who's shooting terribly on just so he can get the ball back. Because if you're getting the ball back from, you know, a great Marcus Smart steal and then chucking up terrible shots, then yeah. <laughs> it's counterproductive. But um, he's he's an interesting player to watch. I don't think there are many people like him in, because he will pick the ball off the board against a seven-footer like no one I've I've seen before. Come up with unbelievable hustle plays, and you'll be left in amazement at the fact that he's been able to do something he's done. And then he'll leave you kind of biting your fist at some terrible decision making <laughs> from the from the three point line. Uh, but then you know he he went on to make up for that in the next game. Yeah, I want to I want to mention one one particular thing though that I thought was particularly interesting from the Milwaukee game. And it says something to me that now, now that we've dogged the poor guy for a little bit, I want to give him a little bit of a, of a boost. Do you remember the foul where he, he smashed into Middleton and ended up picking up a tech and then they changed it to Middleton? Yeah, that was a really strange one. For Marcus Smart, especially too, because it's basically Marcus's fault whenever anything happens because of his history of flapping. But he hasn't been flapping as much recently, and I'm starting to think that maybe, just maybe, this was, you know, a good first sign that we're starting to see floppy Marcus become something of a memory, hopefully. Yeah, um, well, you got to hope so. I mean, it's, it's obviously about the relationship of trust between the referees and, and the player. If a guy, is, you know, referees talk to each other, and if a guy is known as a guy who's flopping, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. So um, hopefully the fact that he's doing a lot less will pay off for himself and the team. So let's dive into the Orlando game. Okay, so the Orlando game, I thought was, um, I mean, I, I wrote the, if you're familiar with CelticsLive.com, uh, as I'm sure you are if you're reading this, uh, sorry, listening to this, you would have probably <laughs> read a, a Green Envy uh, section before. I wrote that one for uh, the Magic game, and what really struck me was how unbelievably happy to be tanking the Orlando Magic fans are. Really? Yeah, the, you know, it was... They were celebrating the missed layup by Peyton. Um, you know, um, they were happy that it was competitive and, and the overall kind of consensus was that, um, it was the best outcome of, a, of the game. Uh, they wanted to be slightly entertaining, be competitive, but definitely lose. That's kind of weird, but I guess I can understand given, given the situation that their, the GM has put them in. Basically, taking one of the nicer caches of assets in the league and turned it into the roster that they have now. Yeah, I guess I could see that. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and, and and I actually thought that you know um, it was the best outcome for for both teams in the end, um, and it was nice to you know I thought it was a good all round game for Horford. Uh, I thought Crowder was 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 really good, and it was another impressive scoring display by Isaiah. Well, Horner was pretty close to a triple-double again. Uh, he was 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists. I mean, I, I, I'm really glad that, that he's starting to put up numbers like this again and concentrating on other areas of his game when the shots aren't falling. I, he had a really rough start to this game. I think he was like 0 for 3 or something when he opened up opened up the game. And when I see stuff like that with him, it starts to get me worried because he, he seems to get really meek, or at least he was getting really meek when his shot wasn't falling. 
Um, so, but it seems like he's really channeling his energy into, into, you know, distributing the ball from the, from the front court, getting rebounds and, and just doing other stuff, hustle plays, stuff like that. Um, Crowder was, was pretty good, but, um, Isaiah had a 35 point game with seven assists too. So let's not leave him out. But Gordon, man, 32 points, 16 rebounds. And of course that wonderful alley-oop. Yeah, you know, and uh, a player. I say wonderful because he missed. <laughs> the <laughs> Magic fans were incredibly happy with the dunk he had over Marcus Smart as well. Yeah, and Terrence Ross is looking good for them. I, I, I'm not keeping tabs on them. I don't know if you've been following him at all, but has he been playing like this, to your knowledge, um, since he's been traded? Because he was not putting up anything like those kinds of numbers before he got traded. I can't say that I'm keeping track of Orlando Magic games that often, to be honest. Uh, but um, Ter- Terrence Ross, uh, that was the most I've seen him involved um, for a long time, especially for the last three years or so. Yeah, and Peyton, man. Alfred Peyton. Like, he didn't put up too much in the way of, of offense, but nine assists and 15, what was it, nine boards and 15 assists? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That's pretty outrageous. Well, no one really, I mean, when he was first drafted, obviously he's being given the keys because of the fact that they're tanking, but he's he's exceeding the expectations of many people when he was first drafted after his kind of slightly underwhelming couple of months in the league at, at first. Yeah, he kind of picked up this this reputation for for being kind of a bust, and I never really saw that. I just saw like a young player who was trying to figure out the NBA. Absolutely, and and that's something that's forgotten. You know, um, as the league is getting younger, you're going to see a lot more of that. People finding their feet in the league um, doesn't automatically mean that they're a bust because not every so, player that com- not every player that comes into the league is as ready as the Boston Celtics rookie Jalen Brown. <laughs> well, I, I to be honest, I, he's doing better than I thought he was going to end up doing this season. Like I thought he was going to be totally fine in terms of not making big mistakes. But I, I really didn't expect him to see as much time as he has been just because learning defense, NBA-level defense, is, it's, it's a steep curve, and he has taken to it pretty well. I guess it's, I guess it's not as hard when you've got such an unbelievably NBA-ready re- body. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and he's got, he's got big he's – got, he's got, for a big man, he's got very mobile feet. I mean, he's technically a swing, swing man, but, I mean, he's built like a power forward. Absolutely. He's, he's going to be an interesting one to watch. I was just about to mention how he kind of reminds me of a second or third year LeBron in terms of build, because LeBron was kind of skinny when he first came into the league, but he beefed up pretty quickly. And that reminded me about something else we need to talk about. Go ahead. We might have a game. Some of us might want to be watching coming up kind of soon. I think I know which one you're talking about. Um, so, Obviously, we're playing uh, Boston. Are playing Cleveland in a couple of days. Yep. Um, it could be the most important game of the year. Definitely remaining. Debatable, debatable based on how things shake out in retrospect. But at least from where we're sitting right now, almost certainly the person, the person, the team that ends up with the win is going to take the one seed. What happens in the next couple of days? Whether I think the Cavs have a game against Indiana on Sunday which would be a good test for us to see how they're approaching the rest of the season, what they're going to do with us. If they're, if they're resting, you know, Indiana is a good enough team where like 
they might consider resting one player if they're not trying to just give up on seeding. But they will have to at least have, you know, two of Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, and who am I forgetting? Jared Smith. Um, if they, if they don't have at least two of those guys, they're not, they're, they're clearly not caring about seeding anymore versus Indiana. Um, and even in general, just seeing how they play, it's going to be, it's going to be good to know what kind of a team we're going to be looking at because they're, they're still, you know, they're theoretically just about healthy again. Yeah. But big, big asterisk next to theoretically. You know, Corver yeah. and Jefferson have been missing some time recently, um, with, with some foot and knee issue respectively, but they're looking likely to be back by the time Wednesday rolls around. And, and they need, they need to be healthy because, um, uh, LeBron hasn't carried a load, um, this big since he was in Cleveland the first time around. Um, this is very different to if maybe a star in the Miami team uh, wasn't fully healthy because he, they had another, they had a stronger squad. Um, it was all a lot more steady and they had momentum for the most part heading into the, in, into the postseason. Um, so LeBron isn't getting any younger. He's, he's, he's obviously like no one else on earth, but he's got a massive load if this team isn't fully fit. I mean, per, for his age, he's got the most minutes, I think, of just about anybody in, in league history and, like, the way they're looking at this right now, I mean, Corver and Jefferson's issues are just old age issues. I mean, not that they're elderly, but in terms of an NBA player's career, they're, they're on the, you know, not even the back nine. They're on, they're on the 18th hole. And Smith, Smith has been, you know, he's, he's basically healthy, but he's got some serious stuff going on off the court. I mean, his baby just got taken off. He just had a brand new baby, him and his wife. Their baby just got taken off life support, breathing on its own. He's been going to the hospital like pretty much every day whenever he's able to. So he's got some really heavy stuff that he's been dealing with. And then Kevin Love just got cleared for back-to-backs, um, but he he's not, you know, all the way back yet either. He's kind of basically trying to work his way back into health on the fly. And, you know, Kyrie and LeBron have been dealing with some nagging stuff, too. Like, not really, really bad, like, compared to stuff that's taken Kyrie out for extended periods in the past. But, I mean, they're, they're also monitoring their health and, at least in the case of Kyrie, have had, you know, recurrent health issues. So, that's important to them. So, we're like, really, they have to, like, they're on a tightrope. They're basically trying to balance everyone's health and minute load uh, to deal with the people who are picking up the load. And they don't have a lot of depth in terms of competent players to pick up the slack. Yeah, and one last note is that I thought it was actually generous of you to say that um, Jefferson was on the 18th hole because I, <laughs> I, I actually think he's walked off the course and he's playing around crazy golf now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. But, I mean, he has an opportunity to come back for another ring. And, you know, he, he's still close to a replacement player in terms of, you know, bottom of the rotation. But at this point, I, I tend to agree. Well, you, you know, he had some big minutes last year in the playoffs and in the finals. So you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole flip the switch narrative that they're going to just somehow flip the switch, though, is as compelling of a narrative as it is. I, I don't think we should expect to see that this year. 
Well, LeBron can always flick the switch, but it, he he can't do it all by himself. So we'll see. I mean, it's not like, you know, that, that narrative is something that's always stuck with Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. Um, but this team isn't the San Antonio Spurs. No, not in terms of coaching, not in terms of organization, um, not in terms of structure. And I'm not complaining because we have to go through them to get to the finals. And the more and more I see these guys play, the more and more I think that there's actually a, a pretty decent chance. I won't say likelihood, but I think we're getting up to like 30, maybe even 40, depending on how the path shakes out, which is way – I mean, we've already hit the win total that my my non-green-tinted uh, glasses – told me this year 48 wins was what I thought was was our ceiling and we have several games left so you know my my I I, I at the beginning of every season I have I have what I call um green tinted uh win total projection and non-green tinted and green tinted was 56 and it might turn out that my my homer prediction was actually closer to the truth well my green tint, my green tinted was 82 <laughs> um, oh, well, can't fault you for that. But my non-green tinted was, yeah, it was around 45. Actually, it was much lower than we've already exceeded that massively. So it's another huge step for this team. With no major changes to the deadline, too, which is even more impressive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, besides that, we also have the Atlanta game coming up. Yeah. Um, you know, like we said, um, a team that have caused us trouble in the past, but they're a different team now, especially without um, their, their Al Horford um, and without the their actual current star, uh, Paul Millsap. Uh, we'll see how that goes. It would be one that I'd be expecting to win um, if I was the Celtics, or at least hoping to kind of take advantage of the, the weakened Atlanta team. Um, so, yeah, a, li- a likely W, I'd imagine. Well, they've also been having issues with uh, Kent Bazemore. Dunleavy's just been terrible this season, but, I mean, again, back nine of the career. Cephalosha is getting up there in years, too, and he's been dealing with some, I think it was knee issues, knee or leg issues, which might be related to that, that wonderful running he had with the Atlanta police officers. But yeah, I tend to agree. That's probably going to be a win, though. If, if Millsap comes back, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult win, but I still think it's going to be a win. And then we finish out the week... With the Hornets, it's been a tough matchup for us. Absolutely. Um, with the current situation they're in, they're going to be um, making, uh, uh, they'll be going down kicking uh, if we're able to get a result there. And it should be interesting. A lot of uh, a lot of guys desperate to to make it into make a statement at the end of the season here. Well, I kind of feel like you know, I mean, they they were active at the trade deadline. They have been pushing really hard all season. Um, I, I do not expect anything but their absolute toughest from them for, for that matchup. Just because, you know, we're an Eastern Conference um, opponent and a win against us can cause enough movement in, in the standings that it might be the difference between them making the postseason or not. And... Their season is probably going to be looked at as a failure without at least a showing in the postseason and probably a couple of wins. So I expect a very, very tough game. They're mostly healthy. Um, Brian Roberts and Johnny O'Brien have been out recently, but are very likely to be back by the time the game rolls around. And Sessions is going to be out, um, which is not very surprising because he had knee surgery. 
but yeah, I'm expecting that to be a good game and, uh, you know, it's going to be close to the end of the season. What do we have after that? I think just like, uh, Brooklyn and Brooklyn and the Bucks. I think yeah. the last matchup of the Bucks. I think the, uh, one of the things, um, with Charlotte is, uh, obviously that's in, for them, they've got three games ahead of that. They've got, um, the Russell Westbrook juggernaut today. Which they're going to lose. They're just, they're going to lose that game. Yeah, and then they've got uh, Washington after that and Heat, who we've already mentioned can be difficult for some teams. So we'll see what happens in those three games before we see how how um, how vital the win is for them. I mean, at this point, the two games back, every game is vital. True, true, very true. They're going to have to win, I think. They're going to have to beat Miami to pull Miami down far enough, and they're going to have to beat one more of those games, including us to have any chance, and that's if everything breaks right for them. They're going to need to, to beat three of those opponents, including us, um, including also Miami, for them to be fairly safe for the eight seed, I think, though there's so many moving parts there, I could be wrong. Yeah, I wouldn't even rule out kind of by the time they come to Boston, um, it's, not a like, it's not a viable option for them to be making an appearance. You know, not that I, you know, as a former, well, as a former, as as a as a big UConn fan, and considering they have two UConn players, I, I don't want to say that I hope that that's the case, but I hope that they don't impede our playoff run. Well, we can only see. Absolutely. So we are here at the end, but before I do the plugs uh, for the site, do you have anything you're working on or anything you want to mention before we close out? One thing I do want to mention is that um, I like to think that I I um, keep myself involved in the ongoings of Celtics Live website, but I have to admit that I was caught out by the Kelly Olynyk uh, haircutting story that was put up for April Fools. Oh man, yeah, a lot of us were. A lot of us were. Definitely, it brought a couple of smiles to my face. The art of a good April Fools article is for it to be plausible enough where you get sucked in, but not so plausible that you spend an inordinate amount of time invested in trying to figure out what's going on with this thing that's actually not happening. I thought that was pretty, pretty entertaining. I yeah. threw in an Easter egg also yesterday for, I wrote a, I wrote a Celtics life um, today in the Celtics history post. And it was uh, talking about um, Hondo's 54-point night against the Hawks. Billy Wilson getting waved and Red Auerbach uh, developing the first dunk, which <laughs> did not happen. <laughs> I just oh, yeah. threw that one in just, just yeah, to see if anyone was paying attention. I read that piece and I glazed over it, I've got to admit. Well, that's not so bad. I saved you a little bit of... Uh, frantic searching on the internet to see if I'm full of shit. Yeah, I just wanted to see it. I, I, I'm just imagining all sorts of things such as an hour back kind of hoop mixtape. Oh god, that's that, that sounds frightening. I can picture him flying through the air with a tomahawk dunk and a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that would be the new NBA logo if that had taken place. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've got to say, though, so, um, yeah, you can follow me at PoundCoin, which is Pound and then C-O-Y-N-E, nice Irish name, on nice. Twitter. Um, and uh, any Celtics life stories that I write will be on there, uh, such as recently um, I put up 
a interview with Darren Day that was from uh, I think about a week ago. Uh, so you can go back and find that. Uh, Darren Day being the ex-Celtics player who played with anyone from Michael Jordan to Larry Bird, Kevin McGale. So uh, that's what I've been up to recently. And cool. I look forward to writing some more in the next coming week. All right. And as you know, um, you should be checking out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com for our distinct variety of Boston shirts. You can even get tickets to the next Celtics game um, under the incredibly difficult to remember heading tickets. Um, I'm kidding, obviously. And if you could be so kind, you will be doing us the biggest favors you could be doing for this pod by giving us a five-star review, or if you don't think we deserve five stars, let us know what we can do to deserve five stars, and we will make that happen, but please don't rate us less than five stars. Just let us know. You can reach us um, in the comments section where we post the link to the podcast itself. Um, you can tell us in any particular article. We'll find it. If you talk to any of us, any of the writers, we'll hear about it. You can also use the um, hashtag CelticsLifePod, and we'll find it that way. And yeah, so, you know, if you have any complaints, make sure you let us know. We're always trying to bring you the coverage you want the way you like it. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, I'll be working on some more draft stuff later in the week once we have the national championship behind us. And yeah, that's all I got. So um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with me today, Josh. And um, we'll have to have you back soon. Thank you very much. And thanks for fighting through the transatlantic connection problems for me. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. Take care, Josh. And you.